Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Center for Christian Music Studies at Baylor University. This podcast was recorded at the annual Alleluia Church Music Conference. In this session entitled Emerging Voices of Asia, Dr. Sui Hong Lim introduces emerging Christian musical expressions from Asia. Some performance practice guidelines are also offered. To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at baylor.edu slash alleluia. Chinese music and Hong Kong church music, 
you'll find a very strong influence from the streams of praise group in Houston. Uh, so if you want to know what's happening in Taiwan and Hong Kong, go to Houston. Uh, that, that's what I'm learning now. Oh yeah, you'll find out, you'll meet the composer and you know what's happening out there. What is the name of the group in Houston? Streams of Praise. Streams of Praise. Yeah. No, it's, it's a Chinese uh, music uh, group, praise and worship group. And they are very deliberate in creating praise and worship music uh, in the Chinese language. And that is a big storm right now that's going into Southeast Asia from Houston. Uh, I thought you might want to know about that one. Just down the neighborhood. Okay? Uh, when we talk about theological consciousness, uh, we are basically talking about the community's understanding or theological thought regarding faith and culture. What's the relationship? Is faith above culture? Is faith transcending above culture so that faith cannot be shaped by culture, cannot be influenced by culture? Or is faith and culture in dialogue? So whatever is happening in culture, can it affect what is, what is my understanding of faith? Okay, so there is this kind of relationship that the community will be struggling with. And when they understand this concept, then it affects the kind of music that they produce. Okay, and also the concept of God's salvation plan. Our salvation plan. Now how does that affect the music making process of the community? Okay, and so forth. So it is this theological consciousness that affects the music making process of any given community. Um, not just in Asia, because Asia, in my particular case, is just a, a case study. It affects any community around the world, how they understand music making. And when I talk about chronological relationship between past and present, I'm talking about like what I said just now, the value of the past tradition okay, in relation to finding meaning in the present. How valuable is uh, Kuiper to, Cal to, to those of the Calvinist reform tradition? Or how valuable is John Wesley to the Methodist tradition? That affects uh, what we, we determine as good musical practice or good worship practice in a particular con uh, community. So very quickly, we go into uh, geographical regions of Asia. Right now, we have five, five regions within this whole spread of Asia, and I'll show you the little map. The first one we're talking about would be East Asia. Um, these are the countries that would normally be classified under East Asia, China, Mongolia, Tibet, Japan, Korea, Taiwan, Hong Kong. What are the characteristics of this particular area? One, the scales would be basically pentatonic, five notes. Da 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 da. Okay, do re mi sol la. Um, heterophony accompaniment, melody line with the with uh, accompaniment just weaving around the melody line. You'll hear a little bit of that as an example later on. Plaintive, it's not a happy-go-lucky kind of song with a strong beat rhythm. That really doesn't quite work for Asian music. Uh, North, uh, East Asian music. It's a bit quieter, a bit uh, soothing. Uh, melodic center, they don't go C chord, G chord, B chord, A chord. That is not critical to them. The beauty of melody making, uh, the beauty of music in East Asia is the melody line. So a melody line is critically important. It is always influenced by the tonal language. So for example, in China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, when you speak, it somehow will affect the way your melody is created. So most composers would start from text first in the creation. You don't write a melody and then try to fit in a text. You may end up putting in a swear word in a hymn, so that doesn't work. Uh, so they usually start with the text, includes the writing. Now there is also some drone a bit, and that's probably most of the time found in the Tibet area, Tibet Mongolia area, where there are use of harmonic singing. Uh, what is the distinctiveness in their worship practices? Can I ask a question? Sure. About the the pentatonic scale. Yeah. Is my impression is that the tuning is not quite the same. That you can't literally take what we when we play pentatonic scale yeah. on the piano, that the tuning is not quite the same. Is that true or not? Um. In the, the past, the, the, the yeah, in, in the past is not true. Uh, but presently, you can actually do Western tuning of your pentatonic scale. Like for example, yeah. it's also possible. But some of the music that I've heard doesn't seem to have that same tuning. That may be Thai. Thai music has what we call equidistant tuning. That is, uh, every interval is a hundred cents between each one. So they, their, their fourth is a little bit flat. The seventh is a little sharp. They have that kind of tuning. That's more Thai music. Um, when we talk about uh, Chinese music, 
in the past, maybe in the 14th, 15th century, what they would do is they, would, they, they evolved from a, a period of what you call relative pitch. That means the tonic is not determined. That means for them, like for in Western music, A is 440. Not for Chinese music. A can be anything. Um, it depends on the emperor. If the emperor is a good emperor, he decides that A is 330. Well, by golly, everything is tuned based, based on the, dominant, the tonic note. Um, if the emperor is a horrible emperor, he, he says A is 440, yes, he will keep 440. When he dies, they will just wipe out that tonic and change the frequency of the tonic note so that it changes again. So that is Chinese music. Chinese music do not do do not de, uh, uh, put a fixed frequency on the on the pitching of their tonic note. Okay, uh, and then they work on they calculate on the the same scale system as what we have in Arabic uh, a system actually. But Thai music is still equal distance. So when you hear the music, it's a little bit flat, it's a little bit weird, but but that's the way they do it. Okay, in Thailand, uh, we'll we'll have a little bit of an example there later on. Let me get the thing going. Okay. A little bit about the worship features in East Asia. You need to know that they emphasize a lot on propriety, a lot of on, on relationship. Your place within a community is always ordered. Uh, I was talking last night to some friends, is that when you say you're my cousin, well, in Chinese, there are different types of cousins. There are different types of aunties, there are different types of uncles. So they all have a particular place that you fit into the, the big giant community structure. So there is a emphasis, strong emphasis on propriety, on propriety okay, on li, that's what you call it. Meal is always round table, hardly ever square. A family new meal is always round, uh, to signify that all are equal. Okay? Um, Non-verbal communication, using a posture, bowing, minimal eye contact, that is very Asian, uh, especially for East Asia context. Now, for some music for you to hear, this is a piece, uh, a video that I managed to get from uh, uh, mainland China. I'm not sure whether you ever get this now. Stop, but let's try. If I can get my mouse up there. Ah. Come on, mouse. I think my fingers too dry. Come on. Let's go up there. I'm sorry, my mouse is not okay. Good. This is a Chinese China Christian Council DVD from mainland China. This is their
the Chinese church has still has this very particular uh, habit of singing Amen at the end of every hymn, wherever you go. And uh, we are, at least those of us who are in Asia, is trying to help them understand that you don't have to sing Amen at every end of the hymn. Um, so it's a matter of a lot, whole lot of theological work that still needs to be done to help them understand this concept. Also, what you have, what you have heard um, is that the melody is basically single melody line, but uh, the last stanza is somehow you hear this harmon, four part, SATB kind of singing thing. That is very Western, uh, because that is not part of our Chinese culture to be able to sing that way. Um, what you're going to hear next is Dong Tian Yi Wang, which is our uh, winter has passed. Again, another quite well-known Chinese hymn. And this is an arrangement that I did, uh, trying to bear in mind the Chinese style of uh, hymn writing. And I have this particular choir from Singapore singing it. So, oh, where's my mouse? Let me try to get it going for you and you can listen to it. If I can find my mouse, sorry. very much uh, unison. The accompaniment, if we do have to do, it will basically be uh, very simple for uh, keyboard accompaniment. Um, as and when we need to do that. Okay? Does it also fit in Western meters all the time? Yeah, because right now, um, West, um, Chinese music theory has very much been influenced by Western music. So you find that we still have the 4-4, four, four, the 3-4, the 2-4. Uh, less 3-4. A lot of the times, 2444 would be the, the, the preferred meter for uh, Chinese music. Okay. Um, in terms of key structure, it really doesn't matter to them. Uh, they're not quite particular about that particular stuff. Okay. Uh, this is a very simple piece which is found in the Methodist hymnal, which is uh, from Japan. So it had this very strong gagaku pentatonic kind of sound. Now, this is one aspect of Japanese music that is, that is uh, in the Anglican Church as well as in the Presbyterian Church. Of course, they are not only singing this kind of stuff. If you go on the internet now, you will actually hear a particular piece of music, which I'm trying to get for you. If I can get my mouse to work again. Hang on. Okay, just listen to this one. I'm not sure why my mouse is not working. It's very weird. Come on. 
can see this one. Okay. Can you see it? This is a song that's going to Korea. Copied, and we continue to hold on to a particular style of, of of genre of music because it is a place of worship genre that has come across uh, from the West, and we continue to hold on to it because it is very popular with our young people. So when we when we talk about emerging voices in Asia, we cannot just talk about the traditional indigenous stuff. We have to represent across the board. And when you talk about uh, representing music that the churches are singing. This would be one example that they would sing. This sounds an awful lot like to me like a commercial American pop song from oh, yeah. the 70s, like so the, the carpenters and that Yeah, yeah, they would because a lot of the praise and worship styles are music that we are having in Asia would tend to be a generation behind. Well, now would the would this be sung in a church? Would yeah. they use it as a congregational song? It would be a congregational church? song by the praise and by, they will have a praise and worship team, the congregation will sing along with it. 
Uh, most of this kind of praise and worship song in Japan will be sung by churches that do uh, are free church. They are not denominational churches. Because the denominational churches would, would sing what I showed you earlier, the da 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 that kind of music. Yeah. I have a question about the. Sure. Uh, I'm serving in a Methodist church right now and yeah. seeing some of, and I'm never quite sure uh, how to how to uh, how to do the you know the, the notes on the page like the, the one that you showed for the Methodist hymnal. Yeah. Can you, will that translate if you play it just exactly like it is in there? Will that translate as to how it would be done? In, yeah, you, you would. Yeah, right now the one, the Japanese one that's scored in the Methodist hymnal, because I'm Methodist, uh, would translate according the one to. The, the, the Tokyo thing? Yeah, it Did would you translate play according to. It's like it is in the hymnal. Yeah. That would be authentic. Yeah, it would be. Okay. And we can talk a little bit about what's authentic and what is uh, improvised and what is your thinking point. Uh, with a lot of ethnic music, it seems to me that, the, that you need to have certain a certain instrumentation for it. It's like in one of those pieces I heard, I heard yeah. one of the. And some sort of oriental string the pipa, that, yeah. that gave it that unique sound yeah. that, that we can't duplicate. Um, yes, you can, but you need to know how to do the substitution. Uh, the easiest thing would be to get a synthesizer. The other thing is to, you can actually modify your guitar to be able to do that kind of sound. Um, we, can, okay. we can talk about Are how. You, to talk about that sound you can talk a little bit about how yeah. simple we can do that. Will that, will that Japanese song be ever accepted in China? Which one? Because of the Western influence? Oh, yeah. It will be welcome because this Japanese song has now gone to Korea. And I think without, maybe within the next five to ten years, it's going to make its jump over into Hong Kong and then China. Okay. It will happen. Uh, because the melody is very catchy, we are, we are very much into this Western harmony as well. You know? So we are, we are, the Chinese people are no longer into those Chinese instrument stuff. It's people like us who are revolutionaries, you know, trying to tell the people, please get back to your own tradition. You know, that are really helping them to rethink their concept of music. Uh, but a lot of the mainline churches, the mainstream churches, will actually go in and do into this already. Okay. Is, so, this, is this a problem for some of them? That, that they're losing, do someone feel that they're losing their heritage of music? Yeah. By doing that? Especially our young people, because they do not, they, it's very hard for them to understand what it means for them to be Asian. Um, and they will struggle. They, the struggle with this is very particular when they start going overseas for studies. Uh, then they really are lost because they do not know who they really are. Um, and in fact, sometimes when they go overseas, when they come back, then they begin to realize, hey, this is my culture. And they are the ones who are actually buying into uh, trying to recover their own tradition and their own music. Mm. Um, the problem with that one that we have is the theological question. How do you recover your own uh, cultural tradition? Um, and that's something that is, will take some time to, to explain. And for the church leaders to do their theology right so that they can actually start thinking about this as well. What do you mean when you say that um, they go overseas to study and then they don't really have, they don't know who they are? How would that compare with a student who doesn't leave the country? Or can you unpack yeah. that a little okay. bit more? When, when they go overseas, they'll discover that what they, are, what they have done back in their home country um, seems very similar to what they're experiencing overseas. For example, a Singaporean leaving Singapore, having grown up in the Methodist church or a Presbyterian church, going overseas, will discover that that's the kind of worship that they have over there. But what they will also uh, discover is that the people in the other lands will say, sing us a song from your land. And they're stuck because they have no songs from their land to sing. Um, they will sing Jesus Loves Me in their own Chinese language and, and they, they will be embarrassed because, hey, that's our song too, you know, and, and things like that. Um, so with that kind of realization, when they come back, they will be asking questions like, what is our music? What is our song? And these are the people that will actually start looking at un un unearthing, trying to find things that would, be, that would represent who they are. Um, this particular concept has been put up by Itolo, I mean, in his paradigm for contextualization, that there is this particular move, people who, who are preservers of tradition. And most of them are actually from overseas, returning uh, back to their homeland to try to look for this kind of... of of heritage that they have. Whereas those who are remaining in the home country do not have that kind of problem. They will continue to be very happy singing the Western translated stuff. Um, and to them, they will hold dearly in that particular uh, mode, mode of singing the Western translated stuff. Tension arises when you have this group of people coming back and these people who remain in the same country. That's where the tension happens. So the ones that, that remain will more or less assume that that really is their heritage. Yes. 
That's right. They will not have a comparison. No. And they will not make any effort to try to recover anything of their own because they say, well, this has been handed to us by the missionaries. This is Christianity. We will hold on to it. We will not change. We will not even try to look at what, what we can recover from the ground. Um, so you find that the churches in Asia right now, especially in the urban setting, are very Western because they don't see the need to try to recover what is on the ground for them. Now, this is different from those churches that are Cambodian or Vietnam who are more rural, uh, still developing. Later on, you see a particular clip where you find that they are actually more in tune to their own cultural expressions than those in the urban setting, where the language is not, where there's no transmission of culture through language. Okay. Okay, let's go on a little bit. Also, so um, it's also a very familiar thing. I'm not sure whether you do here. written at a time where in, in commemoration of the still divided state of Korea, North and South. And so it's, we normally use this as a kind of advent peace, um, four weeks before Christmas, where we talk about coming Prince of Peace to try to hold God's people together. Okay? So this is a song that is found in a Global Praise Book, which is a publication by the Methodist Church, the Mission Board of the Methodist Church. Okay. Uh, this particular song... Um, uh, where you have a leader and all, it comes from the tribal group of Taiwan. Now, you need to know that Taiwan have 10 indigenous tribes. And this is one of the tribes uh, from the Bunun people. And the uniqueness of the Bunun people is that they will glide up to the third degree of the scale, the, the, the first degree of the scale, so E and C. They will glide up. So you see those little nighters, right? They will do the glide. And it, it has this particular interesting way of singing where there's a leader that will lead off the song da, 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 and the all of us, everybody just do the C major glide up and down so and when they sing this song they basically will be dancing in a, in a round so this is a particular song that is now very popular among the indigenous people in Taiwan so when you go and visit Taiwan churches if you ever get a chance to go go and visit those indigenous churches don't go to the Han churches the Han churches will sing four part SATV Western translated hymns. Go to the tribal group and you'll hear stuff like this. Really, really different. Can you demonstrate how this might go? Okay, it goes something like From this time onwards, Wu-Yah-Yi, let's strive harder, Wu-Yah-Yi, trusting Jesus, Wu-Yah-Yi, being neighborly, Wu-Yah-Yi, so you have all the, everybody just pick a particular C major chord and you just go. So you can do this as a SATB choir piece, eight measure, memorize, and you can do a little dance. I can teach you the dance, by the way, but not today, okay? But uh, you can do a dance and sing this song and it really works. Because like a circle dance or something? Yeah, it's a circle dance. There's a particular holding pattern and a step pattern that you've got to go and you memorize the thing. Just go, all you've got to learn is Uyahi, and the worship leader learns the words. Easy, okay? So what is the source for that? Uh, Sound of the Bamboo, the GIA okay. music publication. Yeah. So you can have this one. Next, uh, I was tracking along this particular song uh, for the Methodist Mission Board. They, they love this song, but they do not know where's the source. So I went around scouting, trying to find where was this piece originally uh, uh, started from. Uh, because this song is very popular in Southeast Asia. So in the end, I managed to track it down to Hong Kong uh, because the original text is actually in Cantonese. Um, so this is a particular version that hopefully I will try to get it to play if I can find my mouse. Eeks. I think I have to get out of there first. Give me a minute. My mouse. I can't see it. Okay, give me a minute. Is that only tuning? D minor. And this is a blend of Western technique of with a Chinese melody line. I wish I to be with you. 
Published under Global Praise uh, Outfit in New York, this particular work. But, but the tune was, was, was indigenous? The tune is from Hong Kong, as far as we know, but we cannot identify who is the composer. Give me a minute. I'm sorry, I'm having a lot of trouble with this particular mouse since this morning. And it's running around. When you first heard it, yeah. was, it, was it just as the melody or was there a pattern um, The words came out in 1970s um, and already it had Chinese, uh, Tamil, and Malay, as well as the English text. So was, was there harmony with it or was it just a melody? No, it's just melody. Let me show you the, the, the particular text. Um, so what I did was that I harmonized it in two parts, S-A. Uh, but then I double it with the tenor and basses. So soprano would be the tenor and bass would be the alto. So that when you hear it sounds as though it's four parts, but it's actually just two parts. Um, and the accompaniment, I try to keep it very, very simple so that it's singable for people. Um, this is actually a congregational song, but the choral arrangement is available. So you can actually look at it uh, for choir use. Okay. Okay, next we are going to Kazakhstan, uh, Central Asia. Now, a lot of all this country are basically Muslim, so you will not have a lot of Christian stuff. But I managed to find one clip, believe it or not, on YouTube, of, of uh, Christian songs. So you're going to get to hear this particular. Now, this particular one is not. Let me play it for you. <laughs> same melody. Again, you find that there's a, a kind of fusion. A lot of our Asian music now has this fused character where you have this western kind of background, harmonic structure even sometimes, with a very with a, their own particular melody that's on the top. Um, what, this, what country was that? 
This is Kazakhstan, I think. Yeah, Kazakhstan. Now Tajikistan. This range is very close to uh, Muslim countries. So you see the. Ah, this is a Christian one. between the Han Chinese in Uyghur area. Uh, this is a clip from their part of the world. Um, the song that you're going to hear is actually a folk song uh, sung by a very well-known singer of... This is not a Christian, this is a folk song, yeah? a lot of ornaments that are built into the particular melody line. Um, you will, when we go to the next group of eight countries, South Asia, you will find that this will then dominate the melody. Whereas you find that the uh, ornaments is part and parcel of melody making. And you cannot sing the melody line without the ornaments because if that happens, then it's really not Asian, uh, not South Asian music, which is where we are right now. We are looking at South Asia. 
consisting of these couple of countries, actually more than a couple, Bangladesh, Bhutan, Nepal, India, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, Afghanistan. What are the distinctiveness of this area? Ornamentation is integral to melody. Okay? So for example, you see a song, Kudaya Raham Ka Kudaya Raham That's not right. You have to go Kudaya Raham Ka Kudaya Raham Then the correct version. Um, sometimes for Western uh, congregation, uh, I will tell them you need to move your body a little bit to get the the, the, uh, uh, that will help because if you just sing straight it will not help uh, get the body connected with the sound I think that's what we learn in choral conducting so uh, when, I, when once they learn to start doing that then the ornamentation becomes alive use of a lot of drone very common in that kind of culture is raga driven raga basically is the Indian scale system it's very much connected to their philosophy of life so certain scales can only be sung during certain times of the day for example, a raga for the morning cannot be sung in the evening. The evening raga cannot be sung in the morning because they, they, their philosophy of thought is that there are some cosmos influence in the kind of ragas that they do. There is also a very clear divide between what is uh, in Hindustan, that is northern Indian music, and southern Indian music, which is Carnatic. Now, the Carnatic music tends to be very melismatic. Uh, 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 that kind of stuff. Okay? Northern Indian tends to be a bit more easy to handle. Um, so a lot of our hymn, hymn books have northern Indian music rather than southern Indian music. In the Sound of Bamboo, in the Methodist hymnal, in the Mennonite hymnal, a lot of the stuff are from northern Indian music rather than southern. Okay? When you say the, the ragas are the, are the scales? Yeah. They are the scale system of Indian music. Play, play one of those. Play it. I can't clear examples because I do not know. There are thousands and thousands of them. Yes, there are the, the rockers will control the, will control the rhythm as well and, and the and the rhythm. Yeah. Would, would their scales be recognizable by us as scales? No. Yeah, I mean. Microtones. Yeah, very, 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 very. It's more like a, a system of, of notes. That's right. Yeah, so it's not like D major scale, and no, not not that not that way. Yeah. It's more similar to the medieval modes. Ah yes, thank you. It's not fixed like semitone and whole tone kind of thing that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, in terms of its worship features, we're dealing more of the dominance of certain symbols. They are very strong in terms of the use of symbols. So light, water, earth, fire, wind, features prominently in their culture. Um, they are very uh, strong in terms of trying to contextualize their faith. Um, it is one of the most advanced countries, uh, group of countries, that look at how to make Christianity speak to their own people within their culture. So if anyone who is interested to study contextualization in Asia, India is the place to go. Uh, because you'll learn a lot from them, uh, how the efforts that they are doing. One reason why they are so open is because of Hinduism. Hinduism's faith is not uh, monotheistic. It's pentatheistic. Okay? Many, many gods. Um, also, they use a whole lot of non-verbal communications as well in their rituals and in their gestures. Here's a little clip I'm playing for you. Oops, where's the clip? Let me go back there. Greetings, this is Ken Davidson of Heart Sounds International. Heart Sounds exists to encourage the creation of unique, God-given cultural forms of music and worship in the emerging church around the world. This series of videos called The Sounds of Global Worship is designed to share with you the wonderful experiences that we're privileged to have as we link with a beautiful yet diverse body of Christ. Today I want to take you to Assam, India. We had the great privilege and honor of being the first foreigners to be welcomed by the Bodo tribal people in this jungle region. They've suffered greatly in this politically charged area, but this hardship has helped shape a deep and powerful expression of worship from their hearts. They may be hidden away from the eyes of the world, yet certainly not away from the gaze of a God who loves them very deeply. 
Come and experience one of God's real treasures. So in the United Methodist Hymnal of 1989, it removed all the melismal stuff. So the melody was da da da. That is in the United Methodist. The actual version is. try to teach our people to sing this particular version that gives it the authentic flavor uh, uh, and have uh, integrity to the music that, that has come from us from India. Okay, The one on the right, uh, on the left, uh, Hindi is actually from Northern India. So you notice there's not as much melisma stuff. But it still has this particular character. For example, I'll sing it to you. Jyoti do, Jyoti do. Jyoti do Prabhu Jyoti do Jyoti do Jyoti do Prabhu Jyoti do Prabhu Jyoti do Jyoti do Jyoti do very different feel to the kind of Christian song that we normally associate with. Um, and so for me, when we talk about using different genre of music for worship, we need to explore different regional music. For example, this particular piece could easily be used as a kind of a prayer hymn, preparing the people for prayer. Uh, very simple piece. If you need to know where it's from, it's from Sound of Bamboo, uh, a publication by GIA Music. Okay? Do composers think of text painting as much as Music, yeah, light and wind they, they do more with the text because they are very much shaped by the text. Indian music, Thai music, Chinese music uh, are very much influenced by the text. And normally how the text would go, that's how the melody would actually follow. So in that sense, yeah, some text painting will be involved as well. Um, this is a, we'll skip this. This is a Kudaya uh, from Pakistan. Um, next, to Southeast Asia. These are all the bunch of countries that we have. I'm from here. Uh, and we'll let you hear some things from Singapore as well. 
Uh, but in this area, the music is very, very diverse because we have music from Indonesia that would be very much uh, uh, what you call Malayo Polynesian in using a lot of bamboo and gong in the music making process. Gamelan is in Bali, which is a very, and also in Java. They have different styles. This is Java Island in Bali, somewhere around here. Um, and they have very, very different styles of playing. But basically, Gamelan would be very common in, uh, um, in Indonesia. Up there is Thailand. If you don't know where they are, it's Cambodia. And my little country is down here. Uh, our name is bigger than the island, so don't mind me. Um, what is it? Singapore. Yeah, you can't see it, it's just you can see the name. Uh, the musical features typically pentatonic, uh, melody center again. There's a whole lot of interlocking rhythm. That means there are basically be two groups of people playing, and the, the rhythm will just be locking into each other. Okay? Uh, use of bamboo and bronze-based instruments. Um, this is a place where trade happens. So there's a lot of juxtaposition, juxtaposition of expressions between North and South Asia coming into our region. And again, this is very much community-centered. Let me play you a little piece from Indonesia.
you need to know is Cambodia is a place where if you know a little bit of Southeast Asian history, it's a place where genocide happened in the 1970s with the Khmer Rouge, where two-thirds of the in intelligentsia were actually wiped out. So what you have right now are efforts of trying to rebuild the society. So a lot of the things that the church is trying to do there is trying to get the people rethink Bible stories. And so these are one of the clips that they try to get out to the people to, to, to watch and to learn. A lot of them are illiterate. We're talking about 70% of the population. They don't read. So they would watch and they, they would understand and they hear it. So these are some of the attempts that they try to do. Um, when we talk about Cambodia, we also always think that it's a very sad place and they would have sad music. On the contrary, they would have nice folk song like this. This is from Cambodia. It's a folk song. And Barnabas' mom, a very well-known uh, evangelist, have reset the Christian text. sung by Americans, you're wrong, because the choir is from America. Um, they are a group of young people from the Methodist Church. Um, they, were, they were sequestered for a week, and they were trained, and then they produced this particular recording. Uh, so it's possible, okay? Uh, to be able to sing... That third line is, is the same thing as, as from a phrase in Johnny Cash's I Walk the Line. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll do it. I'll do a very quick one. I'm going to skip through all this stuff because time is almost upon us. I'll show you a little bit of what I've been trying to do in Singapore in terms of the music. Uh, we know Singapore, as I mentioned, is very, very Western. Um, so what I try to do is try to moderate the influence in our churches and create something that is actually singable. Do you all sing the Lord's Prayer here? What version do you use? My Lord. Way too high for congregational singing. Don't you realize? So I offer this version to you. Uh, listen to it and then you can uh, hopefully sing along. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Center for Christian Music Studies at Baylor University. To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at www.baylor.edu slash alleluia.